Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening is Rich Allen. The first half of the league earned season is drawing to a close, and some defences have already got into the Christmas spirit. But before we start wrapping our own presence here at Get French Football News, here are the latest headlines. Saint-Étienne continued their recent run of poor form as they underwent a 4-0 thrashing at the hands of Monaco on Friday evening. The home side saw goalkeeper Stéphane Ruffier sent off in bizarre fashion after the standing captain confronted the linesman for the champion's second goal. On Saturday, the early kickoff saw Paris Saint-Germain herald the return of Neymar with a 4-1 win away to Rennes. The Brazilian notched a double in a game which saw Benjamin Andre and Presno Kimpembe both receive their marching orders. In the multiplex, Dijon poured more pressure on cash-strapped Lille with a 3-0 victory, while Metz won for just the second time this season with a 3-1 result against Montpellier. Elsewhere, Strasbourg made it three wins in a row by beating Toulouse 2-1. Troyes halted their own three-game slide by defeating Amiens 1-0, as Caen and Gangomp each earned a point in a goalless draw. On Sunday, not won by a single goal for the ninth time this season, sinking lowly Angers 1-0 despite Yassine Bamou's seeing red, uh, while Nice have Mario Balotelli to thank as they saw off Bordeaux by the same scoreline. In Sunday's big match, Lyon came on, out on top against a very game Marseille side. Uh, Nabil Fakir opened proceedings with a big helping hand from Steve Mondonda before Mariano Diaz made it two after half time. However, the real man of the match was Anthony Lopez, who kept a clean sheet despite facing 19 shots from the away side. In off-the-pitch matches, Lille have officially parted ways with manager Marcelo Bielsa. A contract termination has been agreed, but there are no further details on any compensation agreement between the two parties. And that's all for the news. But remember, to stay up to date with all your latest in French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week with the final game of the weekend and what ended up being a tale of two goalkeepers. Uh, let's start with the home stopper in Anthony Lopez, Rich, who, who pulled out what many say is a man-of-the-match performance is he the best goalkeeper in Ligue 1 at this moment in time? Um, uh, certainly off the basis of that performance, uh, he, he is without a doubt. Um, I think he's always been a, a really, really good shot stopper. Um, excellent reflexes, very agile goalkeeper. Um, there are one or two questions when it comes to dealing with the uh, the ball into the box, but when it comes to, to, to out-and-out shot stopping ability... I think he's second to none. It was a terrific performance from him. Um, uh, I mean, it had to be. You know, Leon just it, it just didn't seem to be particularly their day. I mean, they got a very, very fortunate goal to open things up um, early on in the game. Um, but for the vast majority of those 90 minutes, they, they were outplayed by, by Marseille. Um, and it really was down to, to Lopez and to a much lesser extent, some, some slightly wayward um, shooting from the Marseille side, but um, I think Marseille can feel themselves quite unlucky to have come away with the defeat. Yeah, given the the balance of the game, really, I, I thought Marseille played pretty well in a in a counter that we mentioned a few times on on recent podcasts that um, felt like the game that they really needed to prove themselves in. It was the game that was. This is if they want Champions League football, this is the kind of game they needed to win. And yes, they come up short, which is disappointing. But ever since that draw against Paris Saint Germain, where they should have won, and that run they've been on recently, where they were unbeaten in, in 10 or so games, it felt like things were slowly starting to get into the right position. They maybe need a couple more players and a, a little bit of luck to go their way once or twice. Maybe that second half of the season will be interesting depending on what they do in January. But it's it just felt like they just didn't quite have enough. They quite, weren't quite as clinical as Leon, although 
we'll mention it in a moment. The first goal was an absolute gift, but the second one is is a little bit too simple as well for for Mariano Diaz to st- stick it in the uh, in at the back post. It just felt like they haven't quite got the edge that some of these other bigger teams obviously got thumped by Monaco early in the season. But this this game felt like Lyon at least had that extra edge to them that Marseille don't quite have yet. But I did want to talk about the goalkeeper again in this one, and it is Steve Mondander, and he's had a relatively decent season coming back. He's had a couple of good performances, but the mistake for the Fakir goal is it's almost inexcusable, isn't it? Uh, it's inexcusable in isolation, um, definitely. I mean, it's an absolutely appalling, appalling mistake. I, I, I can only presume it was one of those, you know, taking the eye off the ball. It was a fairly tame free kick from Fakir. Um, been an easy gather for Mondanda. Um, you know he's a very able goalkeeper. That's that's the bread and butter stuff for him. But he he seems to have just taken his eye off the ball and ends up sort of helping and helping it into his own net. Um, I've I've cut him some slack because I think over the course of of obviously this season with his return and then all the previous seasons when he was at Marseille um, uh, before his move to to Crystal Palace. You know, he's still in credit, I think, with, with Marseille. I think he's he's saved them far, far, far many more times um, than he's uh, than he's committed that kind of error. Um, we have seen that kind of error before, but, you know, I mean, I tweeted during the game, he's, he's playing behind some pretty ropey defending at, at, at large parts of this season. So it's a horrible mistake to make, but, um, you know, he's... It offers. He's not a goalkeeper that's incredibly prone to these kind of mistakes. He is a goalkeeper, and it's it's just one of those unfortunate things. Um, the thing I think I wanted to, to see from this Marseille performance, for me, it, it really highlighted where uh, Rudy Garcia has to improve this squad in January. And for me, it's it's four areas of the pitch, which sounds quite a lot, I know, but they need a they need a a more dynamic right back. Sakai is, you know, he's okay. He's certainly not the worst of the defenders they've got at the club, but he's not what you would call dynamic. So I think they need to look at that. Um, Rumours of of, uh, Leo Dubois possibly coming in from Nantes. They need some centre-backs. That second goal um, uh, against Lyon just sort of really, really showed up just what a disorganised centre-back pairing, be it um, Rolando and Rami, be it Rolando and Abdenor, Rami, Abdenor, particularly stellar centre-backs. It's time and time again with Marseille. They have to look at addressing that. So that's position number two. Position number three, they've got to work out what's happening with Dimitri Payet. An absolute shadow of the player he was whether it's the captaincy he's not working for him, whether he's simply just not good enough anymore, um, you know, whether there's something going on that we don't know about, that has to be addressed because I've lost track of the amount of times this season he's produced pretty anonymous performances. Um, and then the fourth one is they need a reliable goal scorer. Um, you know, they, they eventually plump with Germain and Mitroglou. Um neither of which have been prolific, neither of which look certainties if they were presented with a fairly simple opportunity. Um, so if, if, I mean, it sounds like I've dissected that team quite quite brutally, but they're fairly simple areas, I think, to, to okay, the Paye issue may be a little bit more tricky, but, you know, it sounds like they're looking at right back. There's plenty of needs for, for their centre-backs that they can get, be it whether they want to spend a little or a bit more, and you know, there's options. There are options that they can look at up front. So, if in the if in the January transfer window, Garcia uh, and McCourt and Zubazareta can all work together and address these issues, um, but, you know, there's, there's absolutely no reason why this Marseille side can't finish top three. You know, aside from defensive laps, aside from. Um, you know, inspired goalkeeping from Lopez and some wayward shooting from from Germain and the like. 
it was a good performance from Marseille. Um, so the, the, the bare bones are there. You know, that midfield looks pretty good. They've got options, you know, out wide with, with Tovan. And, you know, Campos seems to have found a little bit of, you know, he's, he's still very, very hit and miss. But, you know, balancing him with NG and they seem to be getting a little bit of um, consistency, at least between the two of them. So there's there's the groundings are there. Um, it's it's a big January transfer window now, I think, for Marseille. Yeah, and it's how far they want to push it, isn't it? I, I mean, I think the link to Leo Dubois, I think that's a good sign. And I think at Marseille's budget, if they are looking at those kind of players, there's quite a few right-backs that they maybe could have a gander at. I'm thinking of Yale as well, who could be cover at centre-back if they needed to. I'm also thinking Frederick Gilbert, who's had an excellent season at Cone, a season yeah. half, in fairness to him. He's a, he's a very dynamic sort of player at that right-back level. Again, the centre-backs we've mentioned in the past, Disa Diop, um, I know you want me to mention him, but Nanyon as well. Those kind of centre-backs as well, while maybe not January transfers necessarily, um, they're the right kind of players for them to go for and then just finding more options up front. But it's they'll be a little bit disappointed that they couldn't quite pass the test here, um, in all honesty, from my point of view. I think that they does put more pressure on them in the January transfer window to try and do something to change it because they know that a team like Monaco are going to come back probably with a little bit more verve about them in the second half of the season, or you would hope so at least. You, Leon, seem to be in a nice groove where they're maybe just about learning exactly what their their best team is, and we'll come on to them briefly in a moment. But it just feels like it, unfortunately, because it, it's more frustrating that they were good as well. If Monaco were, uh, not sorry, Monaco Marseille were, were more pulling out that performance that they did against Lille or against Montpellier, where they were pretty lucky they they didn't do too great and they just sort of edged a, re, a result in the end if they played that kind of performance against Leon, we would we, we, we're a little bit less optimistic about them possibly getting in there now they're still a little bit there even though they didn't get the result it feels like they need to do something in january and, and whether they can or not because it's, it's a very difficult window to get something especially at a top level to push you to the next level it, it's it's a different thing but the victors were leon and they'll be delighted to get a three points right just before the winter break. Obviously, we have the, the midweek match day yet to come, but they will finish probably above Marseille for the, in t- at that half break, unless there's a spectacular scoreline for the low M in their final game. Um, what interested me in this one, Rich, is, is we saw it briefly the week before where um, Hussein Awa was very influential against Amiens in the final couple of minutes when he was moved further out wide and Dundonbele came into the, the side and they linked up quite nicely. They started with that on Sunday night and that combination with the pie unfortunately dropped to the bench for for him at least um seems to be giving them an extra kind of balance isn't it um it does um you know you've got Lucas Toussaint who's a, an absolutely fantastic uh midfielder um you know he can sort of mop up um in front of the defense and Dombele then has the sort of engine player that, that's capable of gall- galloping forward and then you've got Ah, who's the Sort of, you know, got the got the skills, I suppose. But um, you know, I'm really, really excited to see how these three develop. I've tweeted it countless times now. I do see these three being, you know, a big, big part of France's future in three or four years' time, maybe, maybe even sooner for for a couple of them. But they're really exciting players. Um, I'm really pleased to see them all being given a chance, being given regular football. Um, I know Genesio has identified that he's only really got true one defensive midfielder in Tussar. So I know that's that's an area that he said he wants to look at uh, recruiting in in January to to make sure that Tussar, when or if um, you know the batteries start to, to die down a little, that there's someone that can come in and and give him a little bit of respite. But the three of those offer so much, such a range and, and, and you know, broad spectrum of of skills and abilities that um, I think Leon can be rightfully excited for the future. Yeah, and what I really like about that trio as well is it, it does give Genesio more options. I mean, the, the versatility of Awa being able to play centre-attacking mid if they wanted to take give Fakir a rest or if they wanted to play with a three-man midfield, maybe moving him inside with Undombele and, and Toussaint. Just gives them more options, really. We were stuck in the sort of start of the season thinking that you had to play the front four. If they weren't going to play the front four, then it wasn't going to quite work. But I think what it's proved is 
Awa playing out wide gives them an extra option, yes, in that front four, but it also gives them an option to to adapt things when they do play potential bigger teams and, and, and the like, when they maybe come up against PSG again, maybe when they get into the, the deeper rounds if they do of the Europa League. It just gives them an extra bit of flexibility that it felt like they were missing at the start of the season, and it's great to see a young player really step up to the mark. And for Leon, it gives them because they have those extra options. It's giving them the edge against the teams like the Marseilles and the other teams fighting around those areas. It'll be interesting to see how though they and Monaco compete, depending on obviously how Marseille try and improve in January, and these three teams will all sort of compete for this Champions League place. But it'll be. Very interesting, I think, has seen what they all decide to do once that window opens uh, January 1st. But let's move on um, to um, other matters further down the table. I mean, since next week we'll also include our mid-season awards, it was perfect time really to talk about one of my favourite topics when we do the Get French Football News Show, which is the current state of the bottom of the league. Um, all the way up to 11th, really, are just five points above the playoff place and eight above the drop zone. So we go through quite a few teams, really, but we'll start at the very bottom um, with Mets, who we've said, Rich, were dead and buried, really. And I always feel like... It, it's almost biting the bullet in, in a sense that they 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 managed to win at the weekend against the Montpellier side who frustrated a number of great teams this season and it was a great little win. And it's probably just come at the right time where you maybe still have doubts of whether they're definitely down. Is this the glimmer of hope that they maybe needed ahead of that winter break? Uh, it's the glimmer of hope, definitely. I mean... We've said all season long, Mets' problem has been goals and the lack of them. So it, it feels quite ironic that when they finally score three goals, it's against the tightest defence in the league. Um, I certainly didn't see this result coming. I thought Montpellier have looked pretty solid um, uh, at times, especially against the Mets, that I would have thought would have, weren't going to be offering much in attack. But... Lo and behold, they, they go and do it. So it's what what's now absolutely vital for Mets is that they follow it up their midweek when they're at home to Strasbourg. Um, you know, if they can follow if they can follow that that really encouraging win away at Montpellier with another win at home, go into the the winter break then with with those six points, um, gets them into double figures, which I think plays a huge part in terms of morale because when you look at the table, they stick out like a an absolute sore thumb at the bottom of the table. So to hit double figures on points, maybe if someone like Angers can't get the win um, on Wednesday, you know, all of a sudden there's, you know, that, that gap has closed from whatever it is now, is it six or seven points down to only um, four or so. So it's absolutely crucial that they follow this win up. It can't, it can't just be a rogue win in isolation. Um, it's important to to take those you know, those those two wins if they can get them, and the the positive feelings from that into the winter break, so that they can work on it over the over that break and come back and kick on. Yeah, it feels like I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Rich, about the game against Strasbourg in midweek. I mean, if they get a victory there, it just feels like maybe something is going there like something is finally going in the right direction for them it doesn't mean necessarily that i hope i, well, I hope at least that it doesn't mean they they get naive in january and decide well clearly we don't need to do anything because this is the sort of strange catch 22 they're in really um, if they had lost that game say against montpellier or, or possibly even drawn it and then lost the game at strasbourg you look nine points behind that at angers which is still in the relegation zone and then they would have been well, about 11 or 12 points behind Lille in just the playoff zone. And you start thinking, well, is there really a point in spending in January? There's such a big gap already, such a big gap in quality and in and a golf in points. Is there really worth investing that a lot of money trying to stay in Liga and when we could possibly invest that in sense of building for next season when they are back in Liga, which still looks like the most likely option. But a win against Strasbourg makes them think, Maybe there's something to do here. Maybe we invest in January and see if we can roll the back one more time and see if we can get out of that relegation zone, which is the thing about these relegation fights, isn't it? It's like... It changes It changes their entire winter break then. It suddenly shines a bit of optimism on it. Rather than thinking a bit of doom and gloom of, oh, you know, we're stranded at the bottom. 
um, you know, negative feeling just spreads through the the few weeks while we while we're without football. To to go into that, <clears throat> you know, six points better off than they they were a few weeks ago. You know, all of a sudden that completely changes the outlook. There's optimism. There's hope. There's you know a bit of um, uh, you know determination within the squad that you know actually yeah you know what guys we can do it. Let's go out. Let's 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 bring in where you know. Let's recruit where we need to recruit. We can do this. And it, it, yeah, I can't I can't stress the importance of that uh, that Strasbourg game enough for Mets. Yeah, it, it's the hope that kills you, isn't it? That's what you really don't want to hope is that, that they they finally get a glimmer, some something to grasp onto, and and you just hope it doesn't really fall back on their face and really that I don't my, my worry would be that they maybe invest too much they don't get what they need and then they're stuck in league for another couple of years trying to rectify that like other league teams have, have done so let's hope that if we're winning each trust board they do the right things and at least make it competitive that's what we want to see a competitive bottom of the table because there's another side that really struggled um, over the last couple of weeks I mean we mentioned them a couple of weeks ago Angers and saying that Really, we should start focusing on them after a bad November. They they had a really poor start where they, they took forever to win a game. They eventually won it in week nine against Colm. Um, they've only won once since then. Um, it's a pretty dreadful run, really, to be fair, um, Rich. It's, it's a lot of draws, nine draws more than anyone in Liga. Only seven defeats, which doesn't look as bad on paper, but they... There's just some really frustrating results out there. There's the one 0 obviously this weekend against Nantes. They drew on one against Montpellier when they had they had a decent game. The one 0 against Monaco. They, a lot of these games are sort of the by the single goal that they're losing or or they they're not quite. They're letting too many in. There's a couple of occasions where they've allowed another team back into the game. And frustrated them, especially those games against teams around the bottom. They've lost to Mets. They've lost to Troyes. They've lost to. Uh, to other well, they've drawn against a lot of the other sides around them as well. There's, there's a real worry building around them at the moment that they don't really know what what they are at the moment. I know it sounds a bit probably confusing to our audience a little bit, but it just seems like Angers can't quite decide who they want to be anymore. Yeah, it's always difficult. I think when this when there's a side drawing so many matches as Angers seem to be doing. Um. It can be looked in two ways, can't it, really? It can be looked at, actually, you know, not a lot needs to change to all of a sudden tweak it and all those, some of those, couple of those draws become wins. You know, a bit of luck, a little bit of extra quality. But simultaneously, of course, it flips the other way around. It's not going to take a lot for those draws to suddenly start to become losses and losses to become more regular. And, you know, we talked about the mood within the camp with Mets. It's a similar, similar situation with Angers. You know, we know what a disease, a negative attitude in the squad can be. Um, <clears throat> I think Angers probably will have enough um, to, to get out of this. Um, you know, they've, they've got a couple of decent players who are still capable of, of getting a result. But, you know, they're another side that do need to look at the January transfer window, do need to examine that carefully, think where do we look to, to need to, you know, where do we need to recruit? They're another side, I think, that can probably look at but goals need for for um, for that to increase. So it may be that a striker is something that they look at. Um, Crivelli has not been um, the signing that they they were hoping to be. Um, they've got Toko Kambe. You know he, he's he's good for you know a couple of goals here or there, but he's not a reliable goal scorer. So they they need to do something. But I do think there's enough with this Angers side that that they will that, that they will they will be out of the out of the uh, the relegation fight come the end of the season. Mm, they they had a similar dip last season as well, where they they sort of struggled in the first half and did sort of turn it around. I remember a game, ironically against Nantes, that they lost, and I thought they they looked like they they might be gunners, but they did turn it around after that result. But you mentioned a man there that they, they do need to bring goal scorers in, but I really worry that. Carl Tokuikambe seems like the person, one of those players that's ideal for one of these more struggling Premier League sides for goals. Will try and poach in the try and January transfer window with a with a sneaky offer that Lee it seems too good to be true. 
and maybe steal him away. And my worry is if he goes and they can't get someone in, the goals have gone. I mean, he scored seven of their goals this season, which is most of all, more than anyone else. He's obviously contributed two assists. The, the nearest two, I mean, in terms of goals is two, and that's Fulgini and Mangani as well. I'm really, I, I'm slightly worried, you know. I, I know we always mention that they've, they've had fantastic games where they've ended up drawing, where they maybe could have nicked it, but I'm really worried that they seem kind want to come in and make a big offer for their in terms from their relative standpoint for, for their player him be too tempted away they allow him to go they don't get the recruitment in and with a bit of a gap already I know it's only took three four points because there is such a glut of teams really at the moment around that bottom end of the table that I feel that they might they're, they're definitely going to be in a fight this year they, they escaped pretty quickly last season in the sort of January, February time, but I feel they might have a bit more of a fight on their hands uh, this season. But a team we should really be worried about in, in more ways than one, really, at the moment, We and we talked about it on our preview show on Thursday as well, is Lille. There's a winding up, well, there's, there's the order from the DNCG. They're not going to be able to do any business in January. There's big bills to pay. Bielsa has gone, so at least that worry, but we don't know anything about compensation or what they've agreed or, or, or anything of the cut of the like. Um, so money's not going into the club. Players might look to jump ship if they, there's a possibility in the January transfer window or you worry about that unless they, they have some sort of agreement of not allowing players out as well, which is un unlikely. Um, this is panic mode, isn't it, for Rich, for this team? I mean, they, they got drubbed at Dijon as well early from Dijon, although they are that side are playing very well at the moment as well. It's concerning, really concerning at the moment for Leo. Oh, it absolutely is. It, it is a, a a mess of the highest order. Um, it's remarkable to see how, in the space of of half a season, um, you know the the you know the the huge levels of optimism the club had at the start of the season. You know, new owners, money invested, Bielsa at the helm. Um, you know, what what could Lille actually achieve this season? And here we are. What are we, 18, 19 games later, and we're talking about at the minute, Lille are looking like absolute relegation fodder. Um, it, it's truly remarkable. Um, I really, really don't think anybody saw this coming. Um, but it's it's just it's just shocking. It really is. It should not they should not be in this position. Um, it was a project that seemed on the, on the initial face of it, it seemed a sensible project. They wanted to basically copy the Monaco model. That's fine. But, you know, I seem to recall at the start of the season, I was a little bit concerned that that's fine. But let's, let's remember that the Monaco model started with some huge outlay um, to get that initial success rolling to make them an attractive you know, proposition for, for those talented youngsters around France and around Europe. Um, Lille haven't gone down that route. They've gone for the just try and attract these you know, talented youngsters. But it appears that the youngsters aren't quite perhaps as talented as they thought. Maybe the scouting system is flawed. That's not been looked at as heavily as it should have been if they were going to follow a Monaco-like model. Um, Bielsa was, was typical Bielsa and it was his way or no way. Um and it's just a mess, you know. There, there have been one or two bright moments, um, you know, win away at, at Lyon, for example, um, was perhaps a slightly more recent one towards the end of November. But the, these, this is a, this is a, a worrying, worrying situation for Lille because you know no recruitment in January, potentially you know, players out the door in January. I, I don't, I, I don't see how this. This rot stops. Yeah, you start thinking of some of the players that have done okay at times, at least have attracted interest from other places like El Ghazi and, and Pepe. And you think of maybe someone like Thiago Maia, who's been played out of position at the moment. They must be thinking, right, this is a sinking ship. We need to flee as quickly as possible. And agents will be buzzing around different clubs in near in the transfer window, trying to get them almost like a fire sale and saying, save my player from this from this uh, nightmare that they're slowly transforming into, this hurricane that seems to be um, a Lille team that are spiralling out of control, really. I mean, 
I mentioned on on Thursday's podcast that Marseille fans must be absolutely thankful to the to the gods. It seemed like Frank McCourt would be the the dangerous one given his uh, reputation in the US, but it seems like Gerard Lopez was the one that um, the boogeyman that they did, they should have feared really, and and unfortunately the ones that that Lille have been labelled with struggling for money. They, they shifted too many of these experienced players out in the summer. I know that Mavuba maybe was past his best. Um, other players as well, maybe just a little bit past their sell-by date in terms of competing at the top end. But they were so invaluable. There's so many young players sort of misguided in this team. I mean, even you know he's been injured as well. Vincent Inyema not being in the team. Uh, Marco Bassa as well being let go as well. There's so much experience they lost and they just tried to throw as many young players as possible. And, and you mentioned that the Monaco model was so successful because they already had good players there that they could learn up from. You know, Ricardo Calvalio, uh, Jean Moutinho, uh, Falcao now. And they brought in Glick last season as well, who's an experienced international. Daniel Subasic, who'd been at the club for a long time. Andrea Raji. You just list off the kind of players that these young lads uh, learned from. And, and Lille didn't get that. And... Adding that to a manager who demands so much from players and doesn't understand the, the mind frame of younger players now that you can't keep insisting that they do that when, you're, when your results aren't coming, that's not them off. They've not got a manager at the helm. They're not going to be able to bring anything in January. It sounds like, and uh, Dill fans will hate hearing this, but th- it sounds like relegation to me. I-, I can't see any other way for them, really. I-, I think they're going to be automatically relegated. You can't. At the moment, they can't be in the spiral they're in without a manager, without the money, with players worrying about their own futures now really more than anything. That distraction is, is really not them, of course. And I think it was clear to see in that, that result of the weekend. I mean, Dijon are an excellent side and they have been really good in the last sort of two months or so, despite a couple of different results. Um, but they absolutely hammered them in the first sort of half. It settled down because Dijon decided, well, we've we've already won the game. Is there any let's save our legs for this this game on Wednesday and get possibly another result? But they they were absolutely hounded in this one, and uh, even Wesley Said and his little renaissance he's had recently with a with a double as well. They they really battered them, and it could have been much much worse if if Dijon wanted it to be. The worry for Lille, of course, is. You know, if if this does end in relegation, which at the minute is looking really, really quite likely, you know what what does what does uh, what does Lopez do? Mm. You know, he's he's invested a lot of money in this squad, lost invested a lot of money to buy the club, and all of a sudden he's got a second division side on his hands. You know, if he walks away, if he sells the club on the cheap to whoever. You know what? What on earth's left with the club, especially if um, French football financial regulators are, uh, are sort of watching them like a hawk, which they clearly are at the minute, thanks to the, the transfer ban and the sort of "we will relegate you if things don't improve" official warning card that was handed to them. So there's major, major problems here that could have. Yeah, not only short-term, but long-term repercussions for the club as well. Yeah, because the, the memories of teams like Bastia and Evian are starting to ring in your ears almost, that those sort of being relegated with those financial troubles and then simply just folding. There was no real point. I, 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 we'll make a further point on the DNCG. It's some other point where they, they maybe should help out these clubs a little bit more and safeguard them a little bit better. But um, you do start to worry about some of those teams that have had financial trouble going down and then simply dissolving, unfortunately. And that's sometimes the reality in French football sometimes. But let's talk about some of the teams that are just at least hovering outside those positions at the moment. And there's quite a fair few, really, to be fair. There's a few on sort of the, it's, it's spread out a little bit more than it did um, a couple of weeks ago. But the, the team just above the drop zone at the moment is Toulouse, surprisingly. And there's a few surprising teams. We talked about Saint-Étienne and Bordeaux last week. They're two places above that drop zone, above Toulouse as well. It's been a tough few weeks for all three of those teams. I mean, Saint-Étienne extend that really awful run to a one win in 11 now with that win coming against Mets. Bordeaux, one win in 10. This was against Saint-Étienne. Toulouse themselves, they got a couple of recent wins that sort of pulled them out of that malaise that they had um, against uh, a, a coincide the other week, a 2-0 win after f- uh, four defeats, well, five, de- yeah, four defeats in five, um, and including a draw against Mets, which is 
not the kind of result really you want to be getting if you're down near the bottom of the table. But they they lost against an informed Strasbourg team, and they've got Leon in midweek, which is exactly the kind of team you want to play when you're struggling at the moment. Um, is this one of these moments where for for to lose at least to start off with, where they maybe need to reset things come the winter break, get back down because they have a lot of talent in that squad. It's just not clicking. The, the attack again is is struggling, and that's heaping more pressure on this young yet. They they are a great defense at times, but they they're really struggling. Well, that's the weird thing with Toulouse. I found is I look at the teams around them at the bottom, and they're the team I think. Well, actually, I don't think they've been playing too badly. Um, they just don't seem to be getting getting the luck, and yeah, they're lacking a bit of quality. But you know, that's going to be the case when you're when you are a team down there. But there's certainly far more teams down the bottom of the table, I think, that are playing worse football than Toulouse. Um, there's some really, really talented youngsters in that team. I think keeping hold of them, certainly the likes of Diop, keeping hold of him is absolutely vital um, in, in January. Um, you know, Ultimately, this squad, this coach, they have experience of how to get themselves out of a... Uh, you know, and, and well, they've got this, they've got the experience of getting themselves out of a near impossible situation. Well, this is far from that. Um, so, you know, on on the one hand, yes, they you know they have that experience to get them out of the trouble. On the other hand, the teams directly above them are teams that you do not expect to be there, and frankly, I don't expect them to be there come the end of the season in Saint Etienne and Bordeaux. So, that's perhaps the the major worry for Toulouse is that of the sort of seven or eight teams that are down at the bottom, there's certainly two, maybe even a couple more, that as the you know the new year comes and the season draws on, I, I don't expect them to be down there. So, um, you know, Toulouse can't afford to let those teams get too far ahead, but they're, they're a side that I think just about have enough, um, enough in them to, to, um, to get out of this mess because, as I say, I... I just don't think they've been playing too badly. I think they've just been unfortunate. So, um, you know, maybe one or two little tweaks in January could be enough. Mm, yeah, it's, it, it's a weird one for Toulouse. They've got a lot of talent. It just feels like they're just missing an extra spark. I mean, Jimmy Dermas has been out for a couple of weeks. So losing Oscar Treo in the summer as well it gave them less of a sort of creative edge, although Alexis Blin has tried his, maybe tried his best to try and influence that. But they've just not got it going at that end and it's 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 increased pressure moving forward, hasn't it? Yeah, they need to work out what's happening with Andy Delore. Mm. Um, you know, if they can get him back to you know the Khan Andy Delore and maybe the Andy Delore that first arrived on the you know first arrived with Toulouse when he came back to France, then you know that that will almost certainly solve the vast majority of their problems. But at the minute he's just looking you know really, really off the pace. And they need someone more around him. I mean, they've tried to play all our Toivon and off him a little bit, but that just, I don't know, it just doesn't work for me, really. I don't think Toivon is creative enough or, or skilled enough to sort of bring Andy Delore more into play with without much wing play and without much helps from the midfield. It's just not quite clicking. They maybe need a creative force in the, in the in the summer window. You think that it's a bit of a shame that Max Langradell has not quite reached the level we expect from him. Again, if Dermas comes back, that might help them a lot, given his form for Sweden as well. Maybe there's a couple of bits there. But I'll let you talk about the, the other two teams above them, really, because I, I talked about them ad nauseum last week, really, Rich, and that's Bordeaux and San Setien. They, they've both been really, really awful um, over the last couple of weeks, and it's it's only really getting worse. Uh, they are des- both uh, kind of desperate for that winter break to come, and and hope that a, a little bit of a break gives them some some respite. That's the that's the that's the thing, isn't it? They 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 get into that winter break, regroup, work out what on earth has gone wrong. Um, Santetti and I think it's perhaps well, I'd say there's probably obvious deficiencies with both squads. Um, Saint-Étienne have gone, you know, initially we thought they'd, they'd taken a step forward when, you know, they started, started the season playing some, you know, far more attractive and attacking football under Oscar Garcia than we'd seen for quite a few years under Gautier. Um, that football quickly regressed. Um, Garcia then left. Um, and the football just got worse. Um, you know, they're back to 
They're not scoring, which, you know, we're sort of quite used to that under Galtier, but at least with Galtier, they were defensively solid. That defensive solidity has vanished. Um, you know, we, we, we expect Saint-Etienne sides to, you know, not you know, fail to score, but we don't expect them to be regularly conceding three goals, four goals, five goals, and that's exactly what's happening. Um, there's just a real, real lack of, I mean, you mentioned it with Toulouse, there's a real lack of spark um, with this side. There's no one that you can say will be a reliable goal scorer. There's no one that you can say will take the game by the scruff of the neck and, and complete dominate proceedings. Um, Defence looks a shambles at times. Perrin, unfortunately, it's becoming clear he's, he's towards the end of his career. He's picking up injuries more regularly. Um, the squad is the squad is a mess. It's a real, real mess. Um, and they've got to address that in January. They've got to bring in quality. They've got to bring in some quality attacking players. Um, because if they don't, then contrary to perhaps what I said before, maybe they don't get out of this mess. Um, the only reason I'm saying that I think they'll get out of this mess is probably, you know, man for man, they do have slightly a, a better squad than other teams down there, but it's not by a great deal at the minute. Um, so they have to look at that January transfer window to bring in something, something exciting, something different than the sort of, it's an adjective I've used be countless times before. It's stodgy football that they play. You know, it's it's not nice to watch. Um, it's even worse to watch now than it was under Galtier. At least Galtier could get a result with his side. He knew what his side's strengths were. He played to them and it worked. It seems at the minute Santetian do not know what they're... Even if they, even if they perhaps even... They might not even have a strength. You know, it's... It's a, it's an utter mess. Um, so they need to look at some kind of, of, of spark, some kind of bolt of lightning kind of player. Um, and Bordeaux, I think Bordeaux just need to look at, um, well, they need a goal scorer, first and foremost. They've, um, you know, the De Preville experiment doesn't seem to be working, which is a shame. And I know you're obviously a huge fan as well, Nathan. So it's a real shame not to see that working. Alexandra Mendy now is out for the season. So Gorvanek, um, you know, if he's still there, because he's under massive pressure now, if he's still there come the January transfer window, will have his hand forced into bringing in an attacker. Um, and he just needs to work on getting some stability in that side. He's made quite a few changes of late. Um, including playing Sabley out on the left, which is clearly not his his favourite position. Um, for me, he's made the um, the the ultimate the ultimate sacrifice in dropping Costile. Um, the, the yeah, it seems to be going off the rails with Bordeaux after after what was actually quite a promising start to the season. Certainly, a promising transfer window in the summer and a promising start to the season the wheels have well and truly come off. Now, it's whether Bordeaux will give Gorvenek time to turn this around. You know, we saw what Bordeaux, um, sorry, we saw what Gorvenek did with time with Gangon. You know, he was given what, you know, the time that he needed to, to get the squad how he wanted, playing how he wanted, and look at all the success he brought for that club. So, it's whether Bordeaux can cope with that, uh, whether the Bordeaux ball can have that same patience and give Gorvanek time. I fear they won't. As much as I'm a big fan of Gorvanek, I fear they won't because there's obviously quite a few more Bordeaux fans showing dissent than there probably ever were at, at Gangon. Um, it's obviously a, a job that's in a bit more of a, a spotlight. Um, you know, he'll have spent more with Bordeaux than, again, he probably ever will have done with at Gangon. There's, you know, stakes are higher. Uh, at the minute, Gorvanek is, is not doing a good enough job. I don't mind admitting that. But, uh, as I say, my fear is they're not going to give him time. And as we've seen so many times with, with sort of mid-season managerial changes when teams are struggling towards the bottom, it's sort of the last act of a desperate club. So I'm hoping they give him time. 
um because i i do you know both both can rescue this season you know they're not going to get european football but they can rescue this season but it's how they navigate that january transfer window that will dictate how well they can get out of this mess yeah, I think there's a couple of points on both very quickly that I'll go through different from what I mentioned last week. For St. Etienne, it's a very simple one, and I'll keep it short. It shows you how good of a defender Loic Perrin is, that they've absolutely crumbled in his absence. He, I think those outside of France will never really quite know how good of a player he was because he didn't really play internationally, and, and uh, it, there was very little European football, at least in his uh so far in his career, but he's he's really proving how good of a centre-back he is, that Saint-Étienne have absolutely fallen under the bridge when, with him not at the helm at all. And they, they weren't great with him at the helm, but it does really show how, how sometimes you get what you wish for when, when Galtier left as well. And in, in Bordeaux's case, there's a couple of things, really. In terms of what I would like to see from them in the second half of the season, and quick spoiler for... <laughs> unsurprisingly I've written the deep reveal um, profile for the GFFM 100 that comes out in the new year but a little bit of a spoiler in that one that I'd quite like to see him play as a number 10 um, behind a new striker Malcolm and Kamano are the side of him um, give them a little bit more freedom they just seem so stagnant in the area sometimes and they all seem to run into the same space that they want to occupy and that's really held them back really this season especially with Mendy not really being good enough either to be a, to be a central striker on his own, and, and obviously Labor being out, but being disappointing when he had the chances as well. But I do fear for Gos- for Govanek. I think that moment where he's dropped Castillo for Prior might be his undoing. Um, if they lose in midweek, I think he's gone in January. In all honesty, that's one of those moves that seems like desperation when he knows the issue is the defence, and he throws his goalkeeper to the wolves. Um, seems like madness to me, especially such a talented goalkeeper as well. Interestingly, on on Dipperville, there's a uh, I think it's France Football have gone with a story this evening to suggest that that Bordeaux may cut their losses cut their losses with him in January. Um, and there's three clubs that they have linked um, linked him with a move to. One's Rennes, one's Burnley, and the other, interestingly, is Saint Etienne. Hands up, wouldn't they? Oh, they, yeah, they would. Uh, I think that I think they're looking at certainly getting their money back, which I think was around twelve million. They signed him from Lille, something like that. Um, so I mean, it, it'll be an interesting one if they do. You know, it's quite an you know quite a, a confession from you know an admittance that you know, we made a mistake in signing Depreville. Um. Because we know he we know he can score. We've seen it we've seen it with, with, with Lille more recently. We know he can score. So may maybe Santetienne are thinking, well, you know, if you're gonna get rid of it, then he could be the kind of player that they need, as we've we we've as we've discussed. Yeah, because he was he was a great creator at Rans as well in that season that they went down. I think he got nine assists. I think he fits really nice. I I think you would agree. Rich, maybe in that in that Ren team as well, maybe with Saar next to him, having someone explosive that will run past him in that area as well, um, giving him support as well. I think it might be a really interesting signing for both those sides if if Bordeaux look to cut their losses, which it won't be the first time someone's tried to give up on Dave Preville in his career. Um, we'll sort of very quickly go through a couple more teams that are at least hovering in that area, really. It's a little bit more unlikely for the for two of them, but Twine Amien are still there on 21 points. They've both had decent runs at times. Seem to keep getting little results here and there that keep propping them up further up the table just above the uh, the relegation places. And MAN had that great little run where they, I think they were unbeaten in seven, but um, they've come hit the ground a little bit in the last couple of weeks, losing a couple of games. But do those two have the staying power really, Rich, to, to avoid a relegation fight for the entire season? Um... I think there's, I think there's potential. I was, I'm always a little bit worried when newly promoted sides have a have a decent run, but don't pull away sufficiently from the bottom of the table, because at some point that form will drop off. Unfortunately, you know, history has shown that to be the case. And my only concern is that Twire and Amien, perhaps the latter more than the former, pulled away from that that relegation 
um, zone as far as they perhaps would have wanted to. And perhaps far more, they, they haven't pulled away anywhere near as much as their form shows that they perhaps should have done. You know, they've performed really, really well for a team that many, including myself, feared were going to be, you know, in Mets' situation and maybe even worse off. So that's my only concern, is that at some point, that form will drop. Um, and it's that they've unfortunately just not built up enough of a buffer to to prevent that that drop in form resulting in a you know fight to avoid relegation. Uh, I think the same to be said for a lesser extent for Trois. Maybe with their recent league gun experience, they've got a bit more now. A bit more, you know, they're a bit more of a savvy side that they can they can get out of that. And maybe in the January transfer window, if they're you know, fighting with someone like Amiens for a for a player, maybe Toir is a slightly more attractive option over the two. So, but but certainly both of them, I could make the argument that you know they've shown plenty of of you know ability that they can avoid the drop. But it's just unfortunate that it's such a tight group of of teams that they just don't have that buffer for when when that inevitable uh, drop in form comes. Yeah, my, my, my worry for... I think Trois might just have one of those... I'm going to compare them both to, to teams in recent seasons. And Trois remind me of, of Cone last season, that they got a couple of nifty wins around a couple of losses that have just perched them up enough. And I think they might continue doing that next season, you know, maybe lose three games and then nick a win and that sort of props them up enough just to stay up. They might sort of finish just outside the uh, the playoff place maybe. Um, with Amiens, I, I, it, I compare it a little bit to, to Gazalek who also had a, a period when they were in Liga for that season that they had a period of, of maybe a month or two where they got some really good results and some draws and some wins and then they just tailed off in the second half of the season. I really fear that Amiens might be that kind of team where maybe they just they punch above their weight for a good time. They might just only go down in the sort of last couple of weeks and sort of sink. But I, I think they they will be there or thereabouts in, in the in the end result of fu- sort of fighting for those relegation places. But very quickly on two last teams, and that's Gangomp and Montpellier. Um, it seems strange to mention both of those, really, t- given that a Montpellier have been fantastic against some big teams this season, but are still probably hovering. With, in the sense that a couple of bad results at the start of the second half of the season might drag them in there. Same with Gangon. They looked pretty pretty poor in the last sort of couple of months, but two two recent wins have really propped them back up the table quite quickly, which is how things shape at the moment. I mean, looking at Nice as well, <laughs> three weeks ago were um well, four weeks ago were sort of eighteenth, nineteenth, and now they're in sixth. It's it's how League One is at the moment, really, in that bottom half of the table. But is there any real worries that either of those two could dip into there? Or do you think that A with Gangomp getting those couple of wins have sort of moved themselves back into what we expect from them and the same with with Montpellier that those results against those bigger teams will help encourage them to to stay up uh, relatively comfortably in the end um I think Gangon will have enough that that they're just going to have another mid-table finish and that will be perfectly satisfactory for a team um like Gangon and that's absolutely no no disrespect intended um you know I think a mid-table finish for for what for what that club represents is still punching well above where they should be and is still a ter- you know, should be seen as a, a terrific achievement. Um, so I don't think they're going to have particularly many issues. I don't think Montpellier will have any issues. Um, I think they are capable of, of grabbing enough. Well, certainly they've got the defensive stability um, to, to ensure that they're not going to have too many issues. And they are... Um, able to perhaps nick one or two more goals than those nearer the bottom. So, again, I don't think they're going to have too much of an issue, although we have seen in the last couple of seasons that they are capable of, of uh, sinking like a stone. But ultimately, when push comes to shove, I think they are they are a team that are capable of grinding out a result when it's needed. So, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see those two having too many issues. 
Yeah, I, I think both of them will probably be okay unless something really dramatic happens to them in the, in the last couple of weeks of the season. That's filled up quite a bit of our time this evening, which the relegation fight in this season, at least with the, so many teams down there, is, is not too surprising. So we'll go straight to our league and snapshots this week. And I know you have a couple of good ones for us, Rich, this week. So oops, I'll start with you. What are your league and snapshots? Um, one of them, very quickly, was uh, in the, the REM PSG game. After Mbappe got his goal, there was a a group a group of four fans that got onto the pitch dressed as the Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles and ran towards Mbappe, wanting a hug, um, which was quite you know all in all quite harmless. Um, I know there's obviously always concerns over pitch invaders, but I think it was quite evident that this was this was a harmless little joke play on. Uh, on uh, um, Mbappe's link to uh, resembling, I think it's Donatello of the of the Turtles, <laughs> yeah. um, and the, the the mask, the present that uh, Thiago Silva got him recently as well. Um, there was a funny then uh, a funny tweet from a, a Ren fan. There's a picture of them um, after being apprehended with a plea to um, Mbappe and PSG to to pay the fine. For the uh, for the turtles, so <laughs> that's that's picked up a little bit of traction in the French press. Um, the other one, I think, for for me, perhaps a slightly more personal one, but this this uh, this week saw the retirement of um, certainly one of my all time favourite players and a a player who was absolutely instrumental in the reasons why I follow French football and was instrumental in Lyon's run to successive titles a few years ago um, was the retirement of Kim Shellstrom. Um, decided to hang up his boots after uh, a season back in his, his native Sweden. Um, absolutely wonderful player. Um, you know, he. I, I can't. I, I probably can't. I haven't got enough time to go into the many reasons why I loved him as a player. But worked hard. Had an absolutely terrific left foot shot. Um, there's quite a, 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 a brilliant goal he scored for Ren, ironically against Lyon. Um, where he he connects with a left foot volley that's it's about four foot up in the air. I don't quite know how he does it, but I, I certainly recommend searching that one out. But he's an absolutely wonderful player. Um, you know, a lot of people will know him from, from funny enough from the Championship Manager, I think two thousand one two thousand two game where um, he became a bit of a cult hero. But for me, you know, he was far more than that. He was a wonderful player for Ren. Probably, and it pains me to say, upped his game even more for um, uh, for Lyon uh, and got well over a hundred. Kind of lost even count of how many caps for Sweden he got. So, an absolutely wonderful player, and uh, a shame to see him retire because I still held out for a a hopeful Ren return. But um, I'm sure we'll see him back with a with a, a ceremonial kickoff or two for for Ren and Leon in the not too distant future. But uh, Certainly wish him a very, very happy retirement. Yeah, and he was an absolute stalwart for, for Leon. It's a shame that a lot of English fans will only remember him as that strange loan spell where he was injured when they signed him and he, he ended up barely playing for them. But um, it, it just shows you how excellent a footballer he was. Got plenty of clap, well, over 131 caps for Sweden, should say. Enough, really. Um, he crashed the Jew Gardens website when he joined back them back in the, in the summer as well, which just shows you the love that he... Uh, had back in. It was also named in his final season in Sweden, um, and their season's just recently finished. He was named in the team of the season, I believe, as well. Yeah, which is yeah, fantastic. It just shows you the the appreciation appreciation they had. He was a really really terrific player in his in his prime, and uh, so it'll be well. Hopefully, well, that could be like you say. Hopefully, a couple of ceremonial kickoffs will see him again. But um, my legal snapshots. So I've got two this week, and uh, one. Nice one and a funny one as well. The funny one will be the one at Nantes. I don't know if uh, some people have seen this, but uh, Claudio Ranieri was sent to the stands um, towards the end of that game. But uh, the Italian had a little bit of a sneaky way of getting a little bit further down his instructions on. He actually came down during one of the substitutions and talked to the substitute and his coach and went back up to the stands. Um, well, well, no one's maybe... It's been caught on camera, at least, so whether he might be punished retrospectively for that um, remains to be seen, but it was a little bit of a cheeky one from the Italian. Maybe might have just about had enough charm to get away with that one, <laughs> at least anyway, for once. And, and the other one is it's another moving on, and that's uh, the uh, Lyon... 
um, goalkeeping coach, Joel Batts, who was uh, ending his 17-year association with the club to join uh, Montreal Impact early um, come the start of the new year, but joining, obviously, um, the former... Oh, excuse me, uh, Leon manager, René Gard. Um, he will be joining them. And there was a great display from the fans and, and the, the players, the appreciation. They, they all came up to hug him when they scored goals and, and paraded him around the pitch afterwards. And it's uh, he's clearly been a great servant to the club and, and helped coach some magnificent goalkeepers in his time. You think of some of the players he's had, not just Lopez, but for Couto and... and uh, Loris and the players before that as well. Yeah. He, 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 I've been an absolute servant for the club and I know a lot of Leon fans will be really sad to see him go but um, let's hope for him that he has a, a great future in uh, in Canada and a, and a nice little uh, vacation there would be quite a nice place to be actually I think for him it might be a little bit chillier at least anyway but at least they speak French that's the positive at least. Uh, that's all the time we have for this week my thanks to Rich and everyone listening at home um, on Thursday's show it will be the special final GFFN show of our 2017 with it will also include our half term award so do tune in for that but for now abianto and goodbye